Hello, and welcome to Jay Flance's Ignorance, episode 22. I'm in an RV park in Lewiston, Montana for the week, on my way to Alberta, Canada. And there's another guy here at the park who's got a dual-sport motorcycle out front of his RV. And I've got a dirt bike in the back of my pickup. So we got to talking, as you do. And he mentioned that he made it to Alaska one time. And I said, whoa, wait wait a minute. Let me go grab my microphone because I want to record this. And he said, okay. So uh, here is that conversation. I hope you enjoy. I'm hoping you tell me your name if you want to, or you can be anonymous oh. or whatever. But uh, I'm hoping to ask you about your uh, trip up to to Alaska. Okay, on tell a me, are we recording currently? Yeah. Uh-huh. We are. Yeah. Okay. But I can cut out whatever you don't want oh, in the okay. recording. So All right. That's fine. My name is Don Herford, and uh, we're talking about wonderful trips on two wheels. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, two years ago, in 2015, I did a motorcycle ride from, at the time, from Sacramento up to Alaska and around Alaska. And uh, the top of the world highway and then back down through British Columbia. You're coming down on the Cashier Highway, which is a wonderful ride if you want to go slow and see a lot of wildlife. Yeah. So how long have you been riding bikes? Oh, that's a difficult, I'd have to do the math. <laughs> I've been I've been riding bikes for 60 years. Yeah. Yeah. And so 2015, you just decide, what, out of the blue, that I'm going to ride a bike to Alaska? Or how did this come no. about? I I had been in and out of Alaska. I couldn't tell you how many times I had it as a business territory for over 20 years. But every time I'd go to Alaska, I would fly. Well, that's a lot of fun. You get to see glaciers from 30,000 feet. But you talk to people that have driven in the car or, or particularly on a motorcycle. It's a whole different experience. I said, well, I'm not a kid anymore. I better do this pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. And that was what? What that was the impetus to do it at that point. So, so before that trip in 2015, what was the longest road trip you had taken? I I was on the road for 17 months one time. I got lost and couldn't find my way home for 17 months. Wow, that was really lost. <laughs> yeah. did, where did you manage that? All over the country. Well, I I rode from Arizona to Seattle and then from there across uh, Canada. And then I had to make a, an emergency trip back to Denver because my dad passed away. Uh-huh. And then I said, well, I'll go back home to Arizona, but I couldn't find my way. So I went back up, and, well, I went down south because it got cold up north. And I did the, the southern states and down to Key West and had a wonderful time. And then back up and back across Canada. And then finally my butt got sore, so I went to home to Arizona. Yeah. So wow. that was the longest trip. Have you been doing long touring rides for a long time? For 30, 40 years. Okay. <laughs> See, I've never gotten into touring, so I've got a dirt bike, yeah. and I've got a road bike, but it's terribly uncomfortable. A hundred miles kills me on that bike. It's just vibrating like crazy. But I, would, I do want to get into touring at some point uh, when when my dog is no longer needing yeah. 24-7. Quiet. He'll bite you. <laughs> She has to be staring at me the whole time. So unless I get a sidecar and put the dog yeah. in the sidecar, I'm not sure I can really yeah. do any touring. So I think I was telling you yesterday that at an RV park, I'm, if I try to leave the dog and take my road bike out for a couple hours, I get back and everybody's mad at me because she's been barking for two hours straight. So like three minutes after I leave, <laughs> the whole time, 
We were trying to eat dinner. A, like, a oh, little sorry. separation anxiety <laughs> problem here. Yeah. <laughs> you need to get him a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A 14-year-old rat terrier. Or. Yeah. So the so 2015, you decide you're going to do Alaska. Yeah. Did you already have the bike that you were going to do it on? Nope. I didn't. I actually had I had two BMW road bikes at the time, and one of them was kind of a bear bike, and it was just fun to ride around here and there. And then the other one was a sport touring bike, so I had fifty some thousand miles on that one. And but I knew the roads in Alaska. You could do it on that kind of a bike. It was a 1200 RT, and you could do it. It's just not as easy. It's not as safe. And I'm getting old, and and I needed something that was easier to handle in those conditions. So the first thing I did was go back to BMW because I've had a lot of BMW bikes. And I, I didn't like what they had to offer. And... BMW motorcycles are expensive to maintain and uh, quirky and, you know, I, I probably have owned the last one alone. But anyway, I bought a Triumph uh, Tiger, and they make a version called the XC, which is cross-country. Well, it's set up to do what I did. Yeah. <laughs> it's got the 21-inch front end and the 18-inch uh, rear wheel, and then I put a set of very aggressive street legal knobby tires on it to handle the bad roads up there and they worked flawlessly made in east germany the name of the company is hide now i highly recommend them so those those tires were fine on the interstate getting to alaska yeah but then right. once you were there on gravel they were great they were on great gravel. they're a great all-around tire yeah. i never felt uncomfortable on wet pavement uh-huh. and i never felt uncomfortable on potholes and rocks and mud. Hmm. And so and the bike never, well, I shouldn't say that. It got squirrely on me a few times, but I was single track and it where I shouldn't have been. And I'm too old for that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you just see a cool-looking mountain and you're like, oh, hey, let's yeah. ride up there. <laughs> I thought I was, was 30 again. <laughs> let's take that trail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't. Anyway. So the plan was The bike tent, never or? went down. You never dropped it once? Never once. Wow, nice. But I had the thing very well equipped for that kind of experience. It had great big crash bars on it and extra space for tools and tires. And the reason I never had any trouble is because I had everything I needed. How many sets of tires did you take? I Actually, I put tires on before I left Sacramento, and I made the entire trip with those tires. So... Uh, they've now got 12,000 on them and they're worn out. But uh, Okay, I, so you weren't carrying extra tires I with did you. not. Okay, yeah. No. And everything I had read about Heidenau tires said if the bike is moderately loaded, you'll get 14,000 miles. If you're heavily loaded, you'll get 10. Well, I must have been in the middle. Yeah. So, anyway. Well, in Sacramento, to. So how far into Alaska did you get? I went about 80 miles north on the Dalton Highway or the Hall Road out of Fairbanks. And it had been raining for two or three days. And it was like riding ball bearings that had been greased. (laughs) And so I said, and it's 450 miles to Prudhoe Bay. And I, that's each way. (laughs) 
So I alone, said, I'm right? going to turn around and go back and say that I didn't do it and I'm here to prove it. Otherwise, there are a lot of bad accidents with motorcycles up on that road. Yeah. And I'm too old to do that stuff. And you were alone, right? It was just you on the yeah. trip? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, wow. So the, were you? did you take a tent? Were you staying at a hotel? No, I stayed at hotels the whole time. Yeah. I have, I've got three bags on the bike. I've got a tail bag and two side bags that you can just pick them up and take them in the hotel if you want, like luggage. Yeah. But the truth is I didn't use them that way. I had big, heavy nylon liners for the bags, and I would pack them full of things, and I'd just open the bag, pull the liner out, and take it inside. But I got to the point that I would live out of one bag and the others would just stay on the bike forever. You get in there to you know to get additional items and clothing, but you didn't haul it in every day. Huh. The other one you would, where you had your toothbrush and all that. So were you booking hotels in advance with no. specific dates? <laughs> no, you just ride no. and hope that you find. I had something? reservations the first two stops. Okay, <laughs> out of Sacramento. And that, well, I, that's right. I had no reservations out of Sacramento. I had no reservations all the way through Canada into Alaska. Yeah. But when I got into Alaska, I said, "Okay, I want to go down and do a boat tour out of um, Seward, Alaska." And so I made a reservation at a bed and breakfast, and I was there for three or four or five days. Wonderful town, and the tour was incredible. Anybody that goes to Alaska should do the Kenai Fjords National Park boat tour. There are several versions of it out of out of uh, Seward. And I, I was lucky enough to see the the humpback whales do their bubble feeding routine even the captain of the boat said he only has only seen that a couple of times in his life yeah and we watched it for an hour and then finally left to leave you know we got tired of it so describe that that's a bunch of whales and they're feeding on the uh what's it called they feed on primarily on plankton yeah but what they do there will be small fish that they'll eat as well so there will be a group of humpbacks get together. And I say a group, you couldn't count them. There were so many in a small area. But there were probably somewhere between 10 and 20. And they would all get in a circle with their snout facing up out of the water. And then they would submerge. And they would blow air bubbles. And it would confuse the plankton and the fish. And then they would open their mouths and come straight up in unison and eat anything that was in there. And so they were into such tight groups, there wasn't a whole lot that could get away. And they would do that, and then they would go back, recircle, surface, and do it over and over. And probably watched them do it ten times, maybe more. And then finally said, okay, we've seen it. So they, they, they swim in a circle blowing bubbles, and that creates like a wall. They, that the yeah, fish they don't submerge. Like, right? They'll submerge probably yeah. to a depth of 40 feet. Yeah. They're gone. You can't see them. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you'll see all this air coming to the surface from down below. And that air causes the plankton and the fish to be confused. They don't know what's happening. Right. Well, these whales will come in in a very tight circle, blow this air, and then go straight up with their mouths open and eat everything that's in there. Oh, man. So, see, I'm a scuba diver, so yeah. that, that's the point at which I want to jump off the boat and <laughs> look at it. So that was, <laughs> I that made reservations in Seward, 
the, that for that, and then of course that was wonderful. And then I had reservations over on the Kenai Peninsula on the Kenai River, in an area that I used to fish years ago. And so I went over there and spent a couple of nights, and then after that I was winging it. (laughs) And I would get up in the morning and I would decide, well, I wouldn't mind going this far. So I'd get online. I had a good online connection everywhere I went. And uh, I'd get online, and then I would call ahead the day before. And quite often I had no reservations. I'd just wing it. And I always found something. Now... It's maybe not someplace you'd like to spend a lot of time. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> You're just sleeping you can, and showering. You so. can, yep, that's cares? right. You get a night's sleep and a shower and hit the trail. Right. And so. Wow. Yeah. So, so how long, how many days passed before you got to the, the apex where you decided to turn back? Well, I, I had it pretty well planned that I, I, had, I had all summer to do it. So that part wasn't a factor. And I said, okay, if I can't do the Hall Road or the Dalton Highway, <laughs> then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go back toward Toke, Alaska, and then out across the the Yukon, the Northwest Territory, to the Arctic Circle. And that's called the Top of the World Highway. And so I said, I'm going to do that. And if I have to, then I'll turn around and come back and catch the main highway. Otherwise, I'll just stay on that and go all the way across and down into the Northwest Territory. So that's what I did. And then I said, well, I'm going to come back through British Columbia because I like British Columbia rather than coming back on the Alcan Highway. And so I turned around and came back. I went down to, to Whittier, Alaska to see friends and, you know, just hit every little hole in the wall and so... Yeah, I was gone for. If you're going east on the Arctic Highway, how far east does that go? I mean, that doesn't go anywhere, miles. right? <laughs> so, even if you went south from there, is there a road going? There are south? a lot of roads that you can take and head south. Okay. Yeah. If you don't want to do the top of the world highway all the way through, you can head south every fifty <laughs> to seventy-five miles. There's a way to go south. And then you've only got what is that two thousand miles to go to get home, yeah. <laughs> Sacramento. And I had, I carried an extra four liters of fuel because I had a, I bought a book called, it's, it's written, published new every year. Oh, it's, it's all about doing Alaska and that part of the world. So they updated every year as to where the gas stations are, where the food is, where the, the, the hotels, motels. So you follow that book, and I'll think of the name of it in a minute anyway. But I knew how far I had to go on fuel. And with the five-gallon fuel tank, I was limited. So I rigged up a system where I could carry four one-liter fuel bottles. Oh, yeah, you are showing me that yesterday. And I yeah. never had to use them <laughs> because I had planned everything just right. But I sure felt a lot more comfortable knowing that I had about 40 miles at least of spare fuel and my bike was getting about 45 miles to the gallon so so 45 to 5 so 4 liters is a little over a gallon 275 yeah. so 275 so miles had, before you're dry yeah I probably had 50 miles of extra of extra fuel yeah and according to my calculations that'll <laughs> should be fine yeah that will get you somewhere to get fuel unless you're single tracking constantly yeah, <laughs> you see a right. cool looking 
I, I quit doing that. <laughs> going out across the canine, I, I just don't have, I don't have the, the stamina and the skills anymore to do that. If I had done that 20 years ago on a KTM in a heartbeat, without a problem, I would do it. Yeah. But I can't do it. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, you always think you can do it until it goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way motorcycles yeah. work. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. So anyway... <laughs> There are a lot of ways to go to Alaska and stay pretty safe and sane. You don't have to do the top of the world. <laughs> I think you have to be insane yeah. to want to ride to Alaska in the first place. <laughs> I think so. there's a level of that. <laughs> Correct. But it's amazing how many people ride bikes to Alaska. Yeah. And I'm going to say the the predominant machine that I saw on the road up there was were Harley Davidson. Mm. Now they were staying on the very main highways. Right. And the, when they would get in trouble, there's a lot of construction up there because of frost heaves and all the other things that are associated with Alaska. And you'd have a 20-mile stretch of bad road under construction, and it's difficult to do it on that kind of a bike. A road gang or something. Well, I, I saw a woman up there, and she was a small woman riding a big Harley. Mm. And the people that were running the construction put all the motorcycles up front, which was nice, so we didn't eat the dust and the dirt from all the cars. So there were maybe 10, 15 motorcycles right up front. And, you know, I took off to a speed that I was comfortable. And we got out to the other end of the construction. It was 20 miles or more. And I stopped and got some fuel and was checking things out and about 30 minutes later she finally came in on the harley and so i went over to congratulate her and she said well thank you she said that'll be the last of that i time i ever do any of that she <laughs> said i thought the front end of that thing was going to come apart yeah but now Just, she has to get back right i mean there's no she choice has to get home every, That's right. every mile yeah <laughs> you ride north and she was pretty gutsy i'm sure <laughs> she made it home yeah. <clears throat> But there were, there were a lot of Harleys, but they, they were, for the most part, they were staying on the pavement. <laughs> but there were a lot of BMW, GS, and other types of, of uh, adventure bikes that were perfect for that environment. <laughs> the best bike that you can make to go to Alaska, if you're going to do it, on, you know, no, not double up, but one person on the bike, is get a uh, Kawasaki KLR 650. Mm. It's got a huge gas tank got a moderate suspension and you can put the right tires in the bags and and it's reliable yeah yeah and it's got a 21 inch front end so it's going to handle in those conditions yeah so the last guy i talked to who rode to alaska said that there was japanese students that on a dare or a challenge or whatever were pulling a rickshaw all the way <laughs> up to alaska <laughs> what oh. <laughs> brutal yeah I mean, it's one thing to hike it. It's another yeah. thing to haul uh, a load on a I rickshaw. Hope, I hope they had bear spray <laughs> with them or understood why they needed bear spray. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I did that entire trip never one time having an, an close encounter with a bear of any Did you see any? Yeah, you'd see them, yeah. but they weren't going to bother you. I saw yeah. a couple in B.C. Last, last summer. Last summer I went up. British Columbia, Victoria Island, and all that. My, my, my thought was, oh, well, maybe I'll go all the way to Alaska. But you get up there, 
and it's like another 25 hours of driving <laughs> to get to the next town. Yeah. It's just so huge. It's so unbelievably huge. You know, like in the Midwest, you're like, oh, yeah, I can get there in three hours. And up there, it's like 10, 20 hours to the next. And I'm like, oh, never mind. I'm not going to do that much driving. <laughs> well, I, I can't remember, but I'm going to say that from the point I entered British Columbia coming back, to the time I got back to the states, it was four days. That's a long ride. You know, four and days I total. Riding you, fast or hard. You, you entered BC. You made it all the way up to part of the toll road. Yeah. The Hall Road, sorry. Hall Road. And all the way back into the U.S. in four days. No, no. Oh. No, no. I I took eight weeks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what was the four days? What did you say it was From four days? British Columbia, just to get through British Columbia. Oh, four days. We'll take four days to BC. Yeah. 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 Yeah, where uh, Victoria Island's that huge island off the west coast of BC. Been there, I bet I've oh. been there 50 times. I used to sail around Vancouver. Oh, Island. beautiful. It's yeah, so wonderful. I stayed at Port McNeil for a week in this RV here. Yeah. And that was great. And the ferry boats go to a bunch of places. And yep. I, me and the dog, you know, yeah. went and explored. Yeah. I forget the name of the little towns up there. That's, that's as close to a wilderness as you're going to find outside of Alaska. Yeah. You get out on Vancouver Island and... You get out of Victoria and Nanaimo and then head north, and it's wilderness up there. It's, yeah. And the roads are few and far between. Yeah. There's a good paved road all the way up the east side to uh, Port Hardy, it's called, the northern part. Right. But you come back down the other side, and there are logging roads most yeah. of the way. Yeah, I took that dirt bike on a bunch of logging yeah. roads. It's yeah. beautiful. It's wonderful, I isn't went, it? <laughs> I went into town. There's a little tourist center in Port McNeil, and they had maps and stuff. And I'm like, oh, hey, you know, I just, I was just wondering, is there anywhere I can ride like an ATV? They're like, what, what do you mean? She just looks at me weird. And I said, well, like, you know, a, a dirt bike or an off-road vehicle, is there anywhere I can ride? And she just looks at me funny. She's like, well. Well, don't ride it in town, she says. So, like, Victoria Island is 20,000 square miles of dirt biking. Just glorious. The, those those logging roads are amazing because, you know, depending on how many years it's been yeah. since they logged it, it yeah. gets harder and harder and harder. Yeah. And when it gets too hard, you turn around. Yeah. Like, oh, I'll turn around and go back to a road that's only four years old now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's like, okay, this is getting crazy. The trees grow up and the boulders <laughs> roll down and, yeah. Oh, just, I've... I've Amazing up there. Vancouver Island <laughs> a few times on different bikes. Yeah. And I did it on a BMW GS a few years ago. And it that's at the time was pretty much the perfect bike except for the top end of those logging rows. You mm. didn't want to go there on that bike. Yeah. But I went up there a few years ago now, five or six years ago. And I had a little TW200 like this one I have now. Perfect bike for oh. that island yeah. because it's street legal. Right. And yet you can take it to the snow line if you want. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a perfect bike for that. And you've got I, the whole place to yourself. I mean, I, Nobody there. I, the, the, nobody. My best day up there, I could not believe it. I never even heard another motor. Yeah. I was yeah. up in the every direction. I'm looking at my yeah. map because I downloaded the map onto my phone before I ran out of cellular. Actually, cellular worked at the top of the... <laughs> what yeah. if you get on the top of the mountain, <laughs> you had internet. <laughs> well, um, one of the things that everybody <laughs> should know before they head out like <laughs> you did, that there, the concentration of cougars, mountain lions, to humans is the highest in the world on Vancouver Island. Is it really? Yeah. 
they have a they have a high rate of human encounters. Oh, I never saw one. Oh, I'm sure they saw me. <laughs> they saw you. I bet. I can guarantee it. Yeah. But the the reason for that, there's no predation on that island. There's no hunting. So the 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 deer and the the, the cougars and all the other animals are not are not hunted, and there are a lot of them. And cougars are, fortunately for you and me, they don't like big people. They like small women and children. And little dogs. And uh, they wouldn't, probably wouldn't monkey with us, but they would a small child or a woman. Oftentimes, women are in the, or in the Victoria area in Nanaimo. Women are out jogging and they're attacked by cougars. Wow. Very high rate. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah I yeah. saw a couple bears. I saw, I think, two black bears. Yeah. And I just like saw them off the side of the road, and they scamper into the brush. But I was like, "It's a bear." You never see bear in, in Nebraska. <laughs> I've I've sailed all the way around Vancouver Island, yeah. and so you go into all the little inlets, and that's where you see the bears because they've never seen anybody before. Right. They don't know people. Yeah, and, and they had those great kayak. Oh, sorry, that didn't mean to cut you off. They had these great kayaking tours. Yes. Where you just rent a kayak and you go paddle, 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 and you paddle out to a little island. They've got it set up for you with dinner Ooh, and stuff yeah. or whatever, and then you can see the humpbacks. That and clearly is the best way the to see and, that part oh, of the world. Yeah. Because you're quiet. Yeah. And you don't disturb all the other animals that are around. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great way. Yeah. yeah I was like, I oh, to, that's amazing. i got to do that. <laughs> I used to keep a kayak yeah. on my sailboat, and if I was going by myself, I would take the kayak, and I would... Go, you know, anchor the boat and then row in to go to town for groceries and all that. And uh, but in the morning, I'd get up and just paddle along the shoreline, and that's when you see all the animals because you're so quiet. But I, if I took my inflatable dinghy with a motor on it, then you scare everything away. Right. So. Yeah. And th- so there's there's whales and porpoises. I think the, that they have Did up there what they call the doll porpoise. D-A-H-L. And if you look at it at a distance, it looks like a a juvenile killer whale. They're black and white. But they reach a a length of maybe six to seven feet when they're adults. And they probably weigh 500 pounds. They're they're a big animal. But they're they're not the difference between a porpoise and and a dolphin is very different. They have a different structure and their body and their head and all that yeah. and these are called a doll porpoise but they're wonderful and they're playful yeah. and they will if you're if you're in a boat particularly one like a sailboat where you're not doing 40 knots of hull speed they will hook up with you and there may be 20 of them in a in a pod and they'll play and they'll get right up on the bow of the boat where you've got a little bit of wake and there'll be one on each side of it just sitting there flipping their tails at the same speed that you're going. And you can get down and and you can't quite touch them, but they're as curious as you are. They're great big eyes looking up at you. And they're fun. I mean, just a great entertainment. And then, of course, the orcas. And uh, I've drifted into a, a pot of orcas where they were 10 feet from the boat. And I was sailing... In the autumn, when and there was a, not much wind in the late afternoon, uh, to be truthful, I kept nodding off, you know, at the tiller. I was falling asleep, and all of a sudden I heard this noise that I recognized, and so I woke up, 
and I had drifted, I was probably doing two or three knots of hull speed, I drifted right into a pot of orcas. They were all around the boat. There was a one mother with a with a little baby that was so fun to watch. <laughs> the, the little baby would get away from the mother, and then he'd start flipping in the air and having a good time, and you could watch Mama. And you don't know what she said. Instantly, that little guy's right back by her side. <laughs> and then he'd drift away. Like you she, heard something? And then the baby, you, you heard the mom I didn't vocalize hear. or something? No. You, I guarantee if you had the right gear, Equipment. <laughs> you can put a, a microphone in the water and hear them. Yeah. Yeah, it's like ultra low frequency or something. No, actually, it's not. It's fairly high. They may have a they may have a ULF that you and I can't hear. Mm. Could well be, mm. but they've got the orca pods so well mapped and di- cataloged is a better word, and that they each pod will have a language that's almost di- uh, distinctive to that pod. Mm. So when the researchers go out, they'll put a microphone down. And they'll tell you instantly what pod that is by the language that they're using. Yeah. Yeah. I obviously don't know that much, but... uh, Yeah, I thought for, like, counter-submarine warfare, we had microphones in the ocean all over the world, right? The military does. But I thought that they let the scientists have some of that information for research on wildlife. They have a lot of... They have a lot of that information. Yeah. The United States doesn't use it as much as they used to, but they used to use a system that was called uh, ULF, ultra-low frequency, and the sole function of that was to communicate with our own submarine Hmm. in low frequency. High frequency... Through the water. Through the water. High frequency does not travel far through the water. Low frequency will travel a great distance through the water. And there are a half a dozen... ULF uh, transmitter stations around the world that I don't know if they still use in that technology. I suspect they don't. Yeah. With the world of digital, I'm sure they've encrypted it and changed it. But it used to be that they would transmit that low frequency through the water. Yeah, and yeah. hopefully they weren't screwing up migration patterns of whales and stuff. I don't think they gave a damn. It. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they didn't. That wasn't their mission. I don't think they understood, and if they did, they didn't care. That's a, that's a fact. Yeah. You know, the priority was this, the military. They didn't care. Sure. They've had a lot of problems off of Puerto Rico where there was a naval base. There was a ULF site there, and they were causing a lot of problems with the native animals because of that. I don't know if they do that anymore. There was a, a ULF site in Libya, North Africa, and after Gaddafi took over, the U.S. government shut it down and destroyed it. There's also one in Italy, and there's one in England, and one in Scotland. They're all over the world, and people, you know, nobody knows about it, but they're out there. That's what, this was back in the 60s and 70s, what the military used to communicate to the submarine fleet. Right. So, but they also would communicate to the other ships that were part of the fleet, and then they would transmit very low frequency from the ship itself to the submarine. So there were a lot of ways to communicate. Yeah. So you, at one point you said eight weeks is what you budgeted for, or you had the whole summer to do it, but it took yeah, you eight weeks. Yeah, you could you could see a lot of Alaska in four weeks comfortably. Yeah. You don't have to do it like I did it. I just didn't care. I wasn't right. in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, I'd find a place that I liked. I'd spend 
two or three or four days, and then I'd get back on the road. Some days, you know, my butt hurt, so I wouldn't ride very far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you've got a time frame, you can do it easily in four weeks and see all of Alaska. Now, that being said, that doesn't include the top of the world highway. Yeah. That's a, that's going to take a long time. I don't recommend. Go up there, say you've been there, and then come back. <laughs> you can just look at it and yeah. be like, oh, yeah. Right. You don't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and with Google Maps, they have street view, so you can just drag your little mouse on your computer and yeah. just look at it and be like, yeah, I saw that, it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then the, the Dalton Highway, if it's been raining for a day, don't do it because it's too treacherous. Mm. They use calcium chloride to spray put on the road to keep the dust down because it's only got pavement maybe 20 miles out of out of Fairbanks and the rest is dirt and it's dusty it's terrible and so they put calcium chloride on it and they didn't, weren't smart enough to do a little research and to, to find out that if it rains on that stuff for two or three days you could grease up a bunch of ball bearings with about what it's like to ride on that thing I wouldn't do it so yeah. And the stories are about people that have gotten up there and have gone down and, and injured themselves. It's a $50,000 price tag to get rescued. Yeah. They'll come out with a rescue vehicle if you're not serious, or they'll come out with a, with a helicopter. And uh, fifty grand is about the average to pick you up if you're, if you're alive. And they'll probably do it for thirty if you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have to take very good care of you. <laughs> But there have been a lot of motorcycle deaths on that highway and a lot of motorcycle serious injuries. So yeah. if it's been raining, don't do it. Yeah. So you you get you didn't have the appropriate bike, so you got another bike, and you got these great saddlebags, and you have, like, full rain gear, right, like rain snow oh, gear? Oh, yeah. 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 So other than that, what are you taking? Are you hauling food? I mean, a lot of maps? and No, you take a lot of water yeah. to make sure you stay hydrated. Yeah, I had physical maps. I had first aid kit. I had an tools. iPod. I had an iPhone. Uh, for a lot of first aid gear, that I was never comfortable with one that you buy off the shelf. So I'd buy one and then I'd supplement it with things that I thought would work better. Yeah. So that's part of it. I had. Uh, I didn't have any spare tires. Some people do. I had spare inner tubes, front and rear. I had all the tire, the tools and everything to change them. And uh, the tires I used have a fairly hard, rigid compound. And the last thing I wanted to do is try to break the bead on one of those with the tools I had. And I think the reason I didn't have to is because I was prepared. <laughs> <laughs> had you practiced at home changing those tires? I practiced at home. Yeah. <laughs> and I've changed a billion inner tubes yeah. in dirt bikes that have cactus thorns in them so I was pretty good but yeah. doing it on a, on a big bike that's loaded is no fun right. but if you're going to do that you take a bike that's got a center stand <laughs> because you've got to be able to get that rear wheel off the ground a lot of bikes don't come with the center stand yeah. you have to add it my bike didn't have one I put one off did you take an extra chain with you? no I did not yeah. and the Just reason like for it is you can get all of that in Fairbanks, and, mm. and you can you can get a brand new bike in Anchorage if you want it. Huh. So you're pretty well supported. Yeah. Also, 
these new chains will go, if you keep them lubed, they'll go 30,000 miles. Yeah. So just make sure that you lube, lube them every day and then keep them tensioned. Yeah. And I had to retension maybe three or four times. On the not whole trip? They would stretch, but not much. Yeah, wow. Well. Yeah. So. Yeah, so how did the weather hold out for you? Good weather, good weather the whole time you were there, well, pretty much? I mean, you got rained on, yeah, but yeah. that's to be expected in that part of the world. But no big flash uh, no. No. issues or no huge road outages or no. lightning didn't no, hit you? No, one time I, I got caught in a, summer, or in a rainstorm, and I said, well, I can see the edge of this. I'll just ride through it. Yeah. <laughs> I got really cold and wet before I got through it. <laughs> so the secret is it's like reefing a sail on a sailboat. If you think you need to, you're probably too late. Yeah. <laughs> Do it before that. Right. And the same thing when you're riding. Stop and put on your foul weather gear if you even think it's going to get that. The problem is once you get wet, you're going to get cold. Right. And so then you got to stop. Try to get warm, change clothes, put all your wet clothes someplace, don't do it. Yeah. Change early. Get a really good rain suit. And then I had a good set of, of uh, adventure boots, and I used snow seal. It's called a, a silicon seal. A lot of people say don't do it, it'll ruin the leather. Well, I've used it for years, and I've had dry feet. So... Mm take a little vial of that with you and then halfway through the trip grease up your boots and your feet will be dry the whole trip so but a good set of boots is a must there are several manufacturers that make adventure boots boots for that kind of riding that's what i recommend don't buy city boots they don't have enough grip on the sole your feet will slip on and off the pegs you'll slip and fall in the mud use adventure riding boots Anything with a good vibram sole hmm. will work. Yeah. But these come up high enough to protect your shins and all that. So. Hmm. And they're not cheap. <laughs> yeah. Bunch of good fresh fish up there, I suppose. Everywhere you go. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere you go. Yeah. I was shocked that, that Port McNeil doesn't sell, uh, doesn't have a fish market. Because they passed a city ordinance or something to not compete with the next town or something. Oh. It was like a big political stink over the whatever, whatever. And I was like, really? I thought for sure I could buy salmon here. <laughs> like, nope. Huh. Like, okay. <laughs> you can get good fresh fish until you get out in the Northwest Territory or Yukon. You, that's, the fish don't run out there and they don't harvest them. But all the way through that area... The fish are migrating. That, you know, people are catching them commercially in the restaurants. You get great fish all the way. Yeah. You get a lot of halibut and all that, you know, in down the Kenai all the way up to Fairbanks. And then it's salmon the rest of the time. But it's good fresh food and good fresh fish. Yeah. yeah. And go fishing. <laughs> go, down to, go down to the Homer Spit and catch a charter boat and go catch some halibut. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's wonderful food, wonderful to eat. Yeah. Yeah, I met a couple of people that ran little fishing charters and stuff and, you know, just waiting for the ferry boat. You just talk to people. Yeah. You can, uh, the out of uh, Seward, there are a lot of commercial charter boats that go out and they always come back with a good haul. So, not yeah, they get a lot of halibut there. Sure they do. Halibut and salmon. Yeah. yeah. 
Cool. So eight eight weeks later, with no incidents, you never dropped the bike once. Never, never <laughs> dropped that bike at all. Didn't now I dropped that bike a, a few times in a parking lot because I was putting too lazy to put my feet down, and I dropped it. I also stopped on a, a patch of gravel and put my feet down. And the gravel skidded under my left foot, and over she went. I couldn't stop it. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, the bike weighs 474 pounds. Sorry about that. We had a, a minor uh, dog distraction. <laughs> and now the dog's just going to stand in the doorway and bark There's the whole time. A little kid distraction there. Uh-huh. <laughs> she is my protector. She keeps me safe from all the, uh, <laughs> all the ne'er-do-wells. <laughs> yeah, so... You know what they say, if you're, if you're RVing to Alaska, you know, you still have to worry about bears. Mm. So you stop at the dog pound on the way out of town and get a sacrificial dog. <laughs> That's me. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, this one's a soft side, too. So the parks with bears, I can't take this. Well, I can take it, but I can't put the tent out. Uh, Yellowstone won't allow you in with the soft side anymore. Yeah. 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 Too many moose bear? or bear? Bear? Bears. Yeah. Too many problems. The grizzly bear has proliferated since they put restrictions on hunting them. And uh, they're everywhere. Montana has a lot of bears, a lot of grizzly bears. Huh. Not to mention black bears. But yeah. Did the, you see moose in pardon? Alaska? Moose? Oh, a lot of moose. Yeah. A lot of moose all the way all the way through Alaska, all the way down through British Columbia. A lot of moose. Yep. They can be really aggressive, right? The females frighten me more than a bear Mm. because they're very unpredictable. You may not see the calf, but the calves might be nearby. And if she sees you and gets a a snootful, they're big. They're 2,000 pounds. You're nothing. They're going to stomp you in the dirt. (laughs) But you're cruising along. You saw them, but none of them ever, like... No, I never was so worried about that. What I do worry about on a motorcycle up there is particularly the the female with a couple of calves will dart in front of a vehicle on the road. They'll be right along the road and decide it's their time to go. They They don't follow traffic rules. You have to just ride slower and watch ahead of you. And if you see a moose, slow way down because you don't have a clue what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with deer, too. The the one you see is probably not the one you're going to hit. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll, <laughs> I mean, you'll go down, and, and if you survive, you're lucky. Yeah. You'll get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. But I used to fish a lot of different places in Alaska, and you'd walk down to the river through the brush, and you would hear the bears a quarter of a mile in each direction. They're out there snorting and carrying on. I didn't worry so much about that. I worried about the mama moose and her babies that I that I didn't see, yeah. and they take you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and think you there knew they some, were there because there's moose poop every place. But uh, so my little dog weighs like 13 pounds, and I'm yeah. pretty sure this bald eagle was eyeing her pretty hard. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure a bald eagle would have no problem with a 13 pound. Dog. Well, up in this in this country <laughs> and down through Wyoming, the bald eagles are not the problem. Now the bald eagles would rather have fish. Mm. They're not likely to go after that. But the golden eagles will take that little dog in a heartbeat, and they're mm. so much bigger than a bald eagle, they'd be no problems. 
Mm. You know, you get a full-grown... Well, the female bald eagles are double the size of a male. And I've got, I don't, you know, my, I would say I'd show you photos of it up in, off of Vancouver Island. Mm. And I saw a female that probably had a seven-foot wingspan. A bald or a gold? Bald. Bald. Oh, yeah. Crap. The biggest eagle I've ever seen yeah. is a female. Wow. Yeah. And boy, was she aggressive. The, her mate was a male, much smaller wasn't aggressive at all. He was pretty timid. But boy, she was she was no, she was after food. Yeah. And uh, but the golden the golden eagles get so much larger. They also prey on everything, from fish to doggies. Where the the bald eagles will primarily want fish. They they'll eat carrion. They'll eat your little dog, but not often. <laughs> Yeah, but the, the golden eagles are going to take your dog. Yeah, yeah. So watch the sky. <laughs> so eight weeks up and back, never ran out of gas once, never fell, never no, hit never nothing, one. never nothing. Uh-uh. So never had to have anybody awesome. help me pick the bike up or anything. So when are you going again? <laughs> I, you know, I'm thinking about probably not next year, but the year after that. 2018, Alaska yeah. again. So by that time, I'll be 74, 75. I'm going to have to do it again pretty soon. Yeah. Or I won't be able to. <laughs> Have you thought about South America at all? Going south? Yeah, I've thought about it. And, uh, and now I wouldn't be so worried about doing it. The problem has been all along getting through Colombia. Mm. And most of the tours will start you out in Santiago, Chile. That's safe. Mm. It's a wonderful country. And all the way down and back up to typically to Buenos Aires, and then you give the bike away or something, <laughs> sell it. But now that the the FARC has reached an agreement with the Colombian government to quit killing people, it's probably going to be a safe passage all the way. Hmm. So, what a wonderful ride! Right. If you if you're going to do that, ride. All the way through Mexico, right. and uh, and if I were doing that that ride, I would probably take a, a Suzuki single cylinder 650 mm-hmm. and do some suspension work on it, put a big tank on it, put some soft luggage on it, and go, because you have enough range. The engines are bone simple, and they're and it's fairly lightweight. The more weight you get, the more difficult it's going to be to keep it up or to handle it. So don't don't even think about buying a 1200 GS BMW. You'll do it. It'll work. It'll wear you out. Mm. And then if it breaks, which it will, you'll have a difficult time getting parts for it. Well, if it's too nice, you might be a target for getting robbed. So That's right. You probably want it to not look great. And robbing isn't what they do. They'll leave you in the ditch and take your bike. Mm. So that's not real common. But I've got a friend of mine who has ridden around the world several times. His name is Helga Pettersson. And he wrote a book called uh, Ten Years on Two Wheels. I recommend you get the book and and read it. Anyway... (laughs) He talks about being thrown in jail in different places for no reason at all. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So, 
The secret is go with a group of people. Now you'll be a lot safer. Get a half a dozen people that are crazy enough to go with you. And then if you're going to do that, everybody should have the same bike. And that way you don't have to carry all the spare parts. Everybody takes a few and it'll fit everybody's bike. That's the, that's the way to go. The Kawasaki KLR 650 is a good bike for that ride. Yeah. Mm. Or the Suzuki. The, um, BMW makes a 650. That'd be a good bike for that ride. <laughs> yeah. it, it's more reliable, and it's chain drive. And the other ones are shaft drive, and they're problematic. And yeah, I've had several. They're problematic. And you said you've ridden Baja quite a bit, right? Yeah. 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 Not the race, right? Not the Baja. No, I've never. T- I've taken part of the of the Baja 500 route. Yeah. But you know, I said no, I can't. I can't do this. And on a, this on bit, a bike. On, I had a, uh, a KTM 640 Adventure. It was called. Yeah. Big thumper, one cylinder with a big gas tank on it, soft luggage, yeah. and the world's best motorcycle suspension. <laughs> and so, you know, you did part of it in the dirt. You did part of it on the on the paved road, part of it on these crappy roads that are just brutal. Because we, you know, I took a several side trips over to these little fishing villages off of Highway One, and you've got to have a good bike. It's it's hard on on machinery. Yeah. And and you got to be a good rider. I wouldn't do that again today. I, I don't think I could do it physically. Yeah, my yeah. buddy was down there a few months ago, and he said it was so dusty, like yeah. the whole time you couldn't see. Yeah. So you're just kind of following the guy in front of you, <laughs> but you can't see what you're rolling. If over. you're a quarter of a mile apart, you're still eating dust. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like that sounds like that sounds awful. <laughs> Why? It's like oh, great fun. Yeah. <laughs> what we stopped in a little town about halfway down the Baja Peninsula to have lunch, and one of the fellows that was with us got arrested for walking while drunk. And the sad part was he was guilty. <laughs> we, See, we, had, we had a few uh, uh, sh- <laughs> shots of, of tequila while we were having lunch, yeah. and it was really potent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but the biggest problem with going through anywhere in Mexico are, are the, the cops, mm. the federales, and then they've got... You know, every five, ten miles, you get a government military uh, checkpoint, and it's a bunch of seventeen-year-old kids with a fully automatic AK mm-hmm. that you have no clue what they're going to do. And uh, so, I just decided I, I, I did that stuff twenty years ago. I'm not going to do it anymore. I don't like the politics in Mexico, and they don't want me to be there, so I'll accommodate them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's. It's a sad story. It's a wonderful country. Yeah. But drugs, it's money. It's money. Right. It's causing the problem. And, the, you know, a government that's just inherently corrupt. But ours is no different. Just they don't cover it up very well. We do. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I've got friends from Mexico. I don't know the current status, but like three years ago, they wouldn't go home. Like it was so bad. There was a local gang that had gotten so violent right in their little Hamburg thing yeah. that they were not, you know, they're like, we can't travel. And, I mean, they blend in great. You know, they're from there, but they can't go. Not safe. You know, so maybe that's changed in the last three years or so. But no, it's gotten worse. Yeah. It's gotten worse. 
I've got a friend of mine. He's, she's now 86, Mexican woman. And just uh, just the salt of the earth. What a wonderful woman. And she owns a little Mexican restaurant in the foothills of Arizona. And she used to go to Mexico to buy all of her spices. And she's a U.S. citizen, been here forever, but was native to Mexico. She won't go back. Yeah. She said, I get the spices here, I don't get them, because I won't go back to Mexico. Yeah. And she's blends in, just yeah. not safe. Yeah. It's a sad story. Yeah. So, ah, Vote for me. I'll legalize drugs. Make everything better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There are a lot of places to ride motorcycles and enjoy it. And it's Central America, well, South American parts of Central America, just not not worth the risk. Right. So, if you want to be just a little over the edge, yeah. I mean, my insurance company was like, "Oh yeah, you can haul your your RV Canada, U.S., and Mexico." And I'm like, "I'm not going to be a rolling target for." <laughs> I can't imagine taking the RV to to Mexico. I just don't. No. It's like I've, holy. I've got a neighbor of mine now. Just a who's rolling a, target helicopter pilot and has spent a lot of time in Mexico and he had a project down in close to Puerto Vallarta no no not Puerto Vallarta further south and so he decided to take his pickup truck and his camper and take it down there with him he was going to be down there for a year mm-hmm. well he never made it down there they pulled him over and beat the hell out of him, took everything he owned, including his truck and everything, and just left him. He was lucky to be alive. Did they beat the hell out of him without him even resisting? That, they beat the crap out of him for no reason at all? Just because they could. Yep, wow. because they could. Wow. And they pulled him over because he was an American, yeah. and they knew that he had a lot of goodies in his truck and camper. Sure. And so truck. why would you go down there with an RV? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't mind a risk or two, but I'll be damned if I'm doing that. Yeah. So. Well, anything else you want to say about the Alaska trip? or Do it while Do you're it. young. <laughs> Am I still young? I I've, feel old. <laughs> I've, I've got a friend of mine that passed away two years ago, yeah. and he'd go to Alaska every other year on a motorcycle. He was 87 years old. Wow. Yeah. That's so. great. And he, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've got a wife or a or a significant other that wants to go along, just get the right bike, fix it up, and go. You'll have a wonderful time. Yeah. 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 I love motorcycles. I'm, you know, cranking through the woods as fast as I can go, and everything's perfect, and it's beautiful or whatever, but when things go wrong, they go wrong really fast. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and sometimes and you they're get serious. Hurt. I've yeah. got body parts that are never going to be the same and not from getting nailed by a bus from being stupid playing in the dirt when i was young yeah yeah compression fractures of the spine oh man yeah Yeah, that's major major problem we we've uh, (laughs) we used to ride a lot in arizona we put a lot of people in the hospital we had a lot of air vacs out in the desert (laughs) were you jumping like freestyle jumping Crazy. Yeah, that was yeah. the main reason, and and without exception, it was alcohol induced. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> we yeah, would ride not... all day, and everything was good. And then we had decided at the end of the day, we'd, we'd all do our evil Knievel impersonation after getting a few beers in us. Yeah. And that's when somebody get hurt. <laughs> yeah. Cool. 
Okay, well, uh, I caught your name is Don. What? Don. Like, so I can spell it correctly on the on the show notes. Do you want to spell it for me? The H E R F E R T. Don Herford. Okay. So yeah. where where are you from nowadays? Mesa, Arizona. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Nowadays. So Not a do route. you want? So I I've interviewed another guy. That is, uh, he's another one of my podcast episodes. I can send it to you if you want it. Um, but he went Alaska and South America and back, and I interviewed him just like I interviewed him. Ah, cool. You. So if you want to listen to that. So he's done the South America thing. He's got a whole uh, new experience. Twice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's gone down there twice, and he busted himself up one of the times. Did he? So I was talking to him about it, and he's like, oh, no, it's fine. When you break this collarbone, what you do is you can't lift your arm anymore, but you still got strength in it. So you just pick up your arm with your other arm, and you put it on the <laughs> you put it on the throttle control, and now it's fine. It's totally fine. You know, you can't get it there, but once it's there, it's totally fine. And I'm like, you crazy son of a bitch! I just can't. Up path. That's a whole nother level, man. Yeah. How old was he? Oh, at the time, uh, I'm not sure. Sixties, maybe. Oh. He's, when that happened? He's old enough to know better. <laughs> well, he's been riding since he was 12, I'm sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's yeah. he just got back with another buddy of mine from that European trip I was telling you about, yeah. Eastern Europe. And, yeah. So, yeah, if you have an email address or whatever, I can send you that link. Or Let me write it down for you. It's easier sure. to... That's easy. There you go. All right. That'll work. Thanks, Don. Okay. <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Yeah.